The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When a cold-hearted conspiracy collides with a medical emergency, lives are on the line. And then we travel to the home of a little boy. A little boy who's just trying to get some sleep. But little does he know, not only is he about to have a terrifying encounter with a paranormal entity, his story may answer the question once and for all, why are ghosts so scary? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a ton of stuff to cover today, so first off, running into Dead Rabbit Command, let's give it up to our YouTube champion. Everyone get on your feet and clap for Stuart Meatball. Woo! Yeah! Wee! Ha ha ha! Roll on in, you big old meatball. Rolling on in to Dead Rabbit Command. Stuart Meatball, longtime supporter of the shows, always getting the word out on the internet and in real life, and listed in our credits and our show notes as our YouTube champion because he truly is a champ. Stuart, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, that's okay. Just do what Stuart does. Help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Everyone take a big lick of He's like, I'm not a real meatball. You understand that, right? I'm not a sentient meatball. Everyone lick up some of that delicious marinara off of Stuart and then roll him into the Carpenter Caboose. Everyone jump on board. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Stuart, chug, chug, chug us all the way out to Kansas. Chugga, 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 train is traveling around the bend specifically we're headed to washington kansas it's june 3rd 1885 it's june 3rd 1885 we're in washington kansas specifically we're in the black quarter of this city we're in the part of the city that was primarily populated by african americans now kansas was a union state this is also you know, only 20 years after the Civil War. So I I would assume things would still be a little dicey. And you would start to see people immigrate, black Americans immigrate from the South into the North, but not in as great as numbers as you would expect. They were down there, they were slaves for a long time. Now they've been freed by the Union. But you're not seeing this mass migration up North. You'd see some... But a lot of them stayed down there. And the reason why this is actually kind of genius is there was a propaganda movement going on in the South saying, if you go north, if you go into the northern states, if you think things are bad down here, you have no idea what awaits you in the northern states. You have no idea about 
the Night Doctors. The Night Doctors was this urban legend that in the northern states exclusively, there were medical students and professional doctors who would roam the streets at night looking for black people. And when they found them, these doctors would kidnap the black dude and kill him, take out his body parts, sell them to other medical professionals, maybe even perform experiments on him while they were still alive. Some stories said... They would drain the blood from a hole pierced at the bottom of your foot with a needle. I mean, almost borderline cryptid, vampiric, monsters of myth type of story. Old world monsters. These otherwise normal humans during the day at night, they were seeking black bodies to experiment on. Because who's going to miss a black man or woman walking down the street late at night? So don't go north because that fate may befall you. The night doctors are waiting. And those stories, while they were made to keep the black population of the South in the South, they did end up migrating. These stories migrated into the northern states along with some people who went up there. And that's what brings us to the events of June 3rd, 1885. The story of the night doctors were very well known in the black community in Washington, Kansas. Uh, some of the medical professionals may have heard about them. Some of the like police officers may have heard these stories here and there. But for the most part, it was for the most part, it was more widely known in the black communities. What happened was on June third, eighteen eighty five, we're in O'Neill's Alley, and there's this young man. His name is Harris. This young black man. He is in intense pain. He's just screaming, screaming. And if you think I'm exaggerating, what he has is something called intussusception of the bowels. That was the term they used back in this old-timey newspaper, so I looked it up. And these are the symptoms that you have this. This is the first thing that popped up when I typed this term in. It said, quote, symptoms include sudden loud crying, right? So, I mean, that's a pretty bad symptom. You're like, I'm not feeling that well. I'm crying at the top of my lungs. Right, let's put that into WebMD. Symptoms include sudden loud crying that comes and goes every 15 to 20 minutes, vomiting, and stool mixed with blood and mucus, unquote. So really, any of those, any of those symptoms is worth going to the doctor for. Now, I will say... I think <laughs> I think that these symptoms are baby symptoms. I think Harris and most adults would be like, ah, it feels like my guts are exploding. I guess this is a common, or not common, but it tends to happen with children. It's where your guts kind of collapse in on each other. Your intestines start to like vacuum up into each other. But whether man or baby, intense loud crying that comes and goes every 15, 20 minutes, go to the doctor. It's fatal if it's not treated. And I don't know what the sequence of events was before this, but Harris has this horrible, horrible pain. He's crying every 15 to 20 minutes. The doctor says, we need to take care of that. I'll swing by your house later tonight. And we'll just do the operation there. So I don't know if they were like just meeting on the street. I don't know why he didn't do it at his doctor's office. I'm not for sure. But the doctor goes, I'll swing by later tonight. 
And even though Harris and his family live in O'Neill's alley, they would have heard the stories of the night doctors. They don't think that their doctor's a night doctor. They know this doctor. They go to this doctor all the time. So they don't even think anything of it. So later that night, Harris is in his house. He's in horrifying pain. The doctor and a few of his colleagues are headed down the street. They go down O'Neill's alley and they walk into the Harris residence. And word very quickly spreads throughout the community. The night doctors are here. The night doctors are in O'Neill's alley. They're in Harris's house. And this, I mean, everyone had heard of this urban legend and everyone knew of a friend of a friend who had this happen to them. Everybody had heard these stories, but this was the first time they could confirm a sighting of not just one, but several night doctors walking into the house of a black man after sunset. These must be what we've always been warned about. Because even if you were a free northern black, if you had heard these stories come up, you'd be like, uh, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be a little nervous too. And it, this is one of those conspiracy theories we can see has had a lasting impact as well. But on this particular night, keep going back to this, this crowd forms outside Harris's house. And they're just talking, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Inside the house, the doctors are prepping Harris for surgery. They're going to do the surgery in the house, I'm assuming like the kitchen table or something like that. Probably not on the floor. But I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I just assume floors are dirtier, right? Um, but kitchen tables, mine tend to be gross. They're cutting uh, Harris open. And it's so hot in there, it's 100 degrees in the house. The doctors are sweating. Everyone's sweating. I was about to list through all the participants. The squirrel in the corner was sweating. Family sweating. Harris is just bawling his eyes out sweating. They begin to do this surgery on him. And it's a fatal surgery, but they can do this. This is something these doctors know how to fix. They're going to go in. They're going to slice up his intestines and kind of stick them back together. They're like, you got glue, right? You got some Elmer's glue here. We forgot that back at the hospital. They cut him open. They cut Harris open. And just when they've done that the front door breaks open and a bunch of people run in and they're like leave him alone leave him alone we know you're the night doctors get out of here get out of here and again i don't know if the doctors performing this had heard that conspiracy theory before but whether or not they had <laughs> a mob of any size for any reason yelling at you is going to be concerning and you're performing an operation so at this point some of the doctors had to try to get the crowd out of the house. Now, they're just yelling. They just come through the front door and they're just screaming and yelling because they think Harris is being hurt. They see him. He's bloody on a table. And the doctor's like, no, we, you, listen, you guys really could not come in at any worse of a time. We started this operation. He's going to be fine. He's sick. We need, and they're able to talk this group out of the house. And they continue the operation. They're making deeper cuts. At this point, they've pulled out his intestines a bit, slicing them, and they're like, okay, this is a very critical moment of this operation. Hopefully, you know, nothing crazy happens. Another crowd burst into the house, this time even angrier. You have to leave him alone. You have to get out of here. 
Some of the doctors had to leave behind Harris while others continued to try to stabilize him because you need all these people to do this. And they're getting the crowd out. And right when you're able to get one crowd out of one door, another group of people come through the front door again. And another. They're coming in through multiple entryways, and they're just protesting. They're not doing anything violent, and the doctors are like, "Uh, this is getting really dicey, because they can tell that it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time, and there's different clocks running. One, how much longer Harris can have his operation delayed before he dies. Two, how much longer it's going to be before they just, the crowd outside is just like, we're done. We honestly think they're torturing him. We keep coming in, and we're not trying to be, like, you know, violent. But every so often we look over and we see this young black man on a table with his guts hanging out. There's blood everywhere. It's late at night. We've all heard the stories of the night doctors. The doctors are like, you have to leave, you have to leave. Well, eventually, what happened was what everybody feared. One more big crowd burst in. And at this point, the doctors go, we don't feel safe. Like, the temperature is rising. (laughs) I mean, it's already 100 degrees in there. That's the atmosphere temperature. But these the, the calls are getting more aggressive. The crowds are coming in quicker. Like, right when we can get one out, they're coming through another door. And now... We got to call it, guys. Like, we can stay behind and keep trying to do this operation, but the fact that we have to keep stopping and the fact that at a certain point we may not be able to talk our way out of this because people believe that we're actually killing this man and we're not. We're trying to save his life. And so the doctors go, we got to leave. We got to get out of here. It's not safe. And so apparently they called the police, the doctors called the police, and then left the building, got snuck out of the I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they tied a bunch of sheets together and climbed out the second story window. I don't know, but they were able to get out because at a certain point they go, we were just being, at first it was, they were telling the night doctors to leave. And now they're like threatening us personally, that they're going to take care of us if we don't leave. So we're going to have to leave. So they left Harris there on the operating table in his house with his guts exposed, his intestines relaying out of his stomach. The operation was only halfway done. And the doctors got out of the house and they were hoping that the police would be able to clear out the area so they could go in and finish the operation. But by the time the police got there, Harris had already died. died on the operating table, the makeshift operating table in his own home due to a completely baseless conspiracy theory. That's something that I was looking up. I found this story, like I said, in the Kansas City Star. I did some research into the the story of the Night Doctors, and they go, as far as we know, there was no real case where it was specifically targeted, where you had a group of medical students or doctors, because obviously you've had body thefts and things like that from graveyards. And there were stories in England where people were being, you know, murdered. So the bodies could be sold to medical colleges, but they go as far as it being racially motivated in the United States during this time period, they couldn't really find a case, but the stories were spread. The stories were spread that if you think things are bad in the South, if you go up North, you could be walking on the street at night 
And pretty much a vampire is going to get you. That was a, a night doctor is a scientifically plausible vampire. And it worked. This conspiracy theory worked because it preys on things that, I mean, listen, you go, I already know that my life is cheap. I already know that uh, the medical community doesn't treat me right. You know, if you're if you're a black man living back then, and you could argue nowadays as well, you could be like, listen, I know these things are true. So it's not a much of a step to think that someone may jump out of a alleyway and kill me to sell my organs because what do they care? I'm three-fifths of a man. It wouldn't take that much. At the end of the day, it's still a vampire story. It's There's no proof that these attacks ever happened. But it's if it's based on something that you already believe, it's a scientifically plausible vampire story. And what's tragic is not only do we have the death of Harris here due to that, right? This, this surgery could have totally gone fine had 20 years ago this urban legend not started that don't trust doctors late at night. It's such a weird specific legend. But again, this they say that this conspiracy theory was so strong and lasted so long, they believe that they go, it has had impacts in how African-Americans deal with the medical community for decades afterwards. Because you would hear the stories that your grandpa and your grandma told you. And as a kid, you may go, uh, I mean, you may not believe it. You may not believe that there's doctors lurking around the corner to get you. But enough, I mean, basically, it creates a prejudice, right? It could create a prejudice of you against doctors. That you don't trust them. That Because you heard that Uncle Jack had a best friend who one day was attacked by a white doctor just to have the guy's organs taken out. That, could, that would probably cause you to be a little prejudiced towards doctors. They said this story's actually created problems in the black community and uh, healthcare in America. But then, I mean, that's also kind of, you know, like sniffing the lily upside down because while that may be true, you have stuff like the Tuskegee experiment where basically the U.S. military, under the guise of medical professionals, were not treating black men with syphilis to see exactly what it does to the human body, like, there's other stuff that the night doctor thing isn't true. And then the U.S. government goes, let's let's we got a good idea. That gave us an idea, that horrible legend. Let's see if we can actually make this work. And that's why, I mean, I don't want to get political or I don't even know if this is political anymore. Very low vaccination rates uh, for the covid vaccination among black Americans, because they're like, fool me once. With the Tuskegee experiment. I mean, and that's just really the main one that we know about. I'm sure there have been other studies done like that. But they're like, no, we're not taking the COVID vaccine. The the among, if you looked at ethnic groups, it, it was pretty low comparatively. And I mean, rightfully so, right? Would you, you're like, well, you did sick the FBI. <laughs> you did do all these horrible things against me and my community for hundreds of years. But surely the COVID vaccine, now you're telling the truth. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about the COVID vaccine personally. I'm just saying I understood that reaction to be like, eh. So interesting conspiracy theory that has had long standing effects. But even if it didn't, even if it was just this one sad story, right? This guy, he didn't think they were night doctors. He invited them into his house and he died there on the table. Crazy, crazy. It goes to show what the power of a conspiracy theory can really do. I mean, it, it can uh, take lives.
Stuart Meatball, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. Roll on inside and put on your flight suit. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. Fly us all the way out to a little boy's bedroom. We're headed all the way out to this little boy's bedroom. Well, there's a bit of a twist. It's a little boy's bedroom. Twins. Twin two-year-old boys. And we see these two twins sleeping in their beds. Probably separate beds, right? Probably not sleeping in the same bed. That would be kind of confusing each morning you woke up. You wouldn't know which twin you were. You're like, oh no, am I Barry or June? Ah! Two kids and their mother. Mother lives there as well. We're going to call her Janet. She's a mother of uh, twins and a seven-year-old. And she's pregnant with another baby. Janet's a mom, a mother-to-be as well, and they move into a new condo. Shortly after they move in, she puts her kids to bed. She puts the twins to bed. Good night, guys. Don't forget who you are in the morning. The kids are like, what? She keeps dressing them in different clothes in the middle of the night. <laughs> to, to fool them, to trick them. Replacing a mirror with a picture of the other twin. They're like, oh, what? No. <laughs> I'm messing with them. Anyways. There's several reasons why I don't have kids. This is one of them. The battery of psychological tests daily. She said, one night, I put all my kids to bed. And then I walked into my bedroom. And I laid down. And all of a sudden, I felt terrified. An overwhelming sense of sadness just seemed to cover me. Drape over all of my skin. I was besides myself. And she couldn't figure it out. She couldn't figure it out. She goes, listen, I've lived on my own since I was 16 years old. I haven't had an easy life. But I've never been scared like I was scared that night. Never been scared like that. A month later, she gives birth to a new baby, a little baby girl. So she has a seven-year-old, two two-year-old twins, and an infant. And Janet's mom came out to the condo. They're staying in a condo to help out. You're going to need a little help. One day, Janet's mom is in the upstairs bathroom. Going to the bathroom, right? Taking a big old mom dump. But after she was done, she walked down the stairs. She had a big smile on her face. And she goes, she sees the two twins, the two little boys sitting there being fed by Janet. And she goes, which one of you boys was up in the bathroom taking a peek at me? Which one of you? <laughs> and she's kind of laughing. And Janet looks at her mom and goes, what are you talking about? Grandma goes, when I was up there, I saw one of you little whippersnappers poking your head through the door, looking at me, looking at me, taking a poo. And Janet goes, I've been feeding the twin boys for like 20 minutes. They weren't up there. And Grandma's like, what? Janet's like, yeah, there was nobody up there. Well, Grandma eventually tells Janet, she goes, when I was up there, when I was up there in the bathroom, I saw... I, I clearly saw someone up there, Janet. I, I don't know. I'm thinking your house is haunted because 
what I saw was I saw two little hands wrapped around the door, like the door was kind of open, it was ajar. And these two little hands were wrapped around the door, and I saw a little boy's face peeking in through the crack. Like I clearly saw the hands and I saw the face, and it was about as tall as one of your boys, so I thought it was one of them, but... Your place is haunted. Like, the mom is not a skeptic at all. She's like, I clearly know what I saw. It was so real. This place is haunted. You have a ghost. But Janet doesn't believe in ghosts. Janet is super skeptical with this. When the mom says your house is haunted, she just kind of blows it off. Because you would just assume your mom's seeing things... your mom's going nuts right trick of the light or trick of the brain well one night janet walked into her bedroom and she sees claire as day a little boy sitting on her bed he was facing away from her so she could only see the back of him But she got a a good view. She was able to pick out some details. She said he looked like he was the size of a two-year-old. He was wearing what looked like a white-collared button-up shirt. Light brown shorts. No shoes. And a little bowl haircut. But she still can't get a clear view of his face. And she sees him, and she doesn't believe in ghosts. This is something... is This isn't real. So she closes her eyes. Opens them. Still there. She pinched herself hard. He's still there. At that point, the little boy begins to turn around and looks at Janet right in the eyes, and vanished. Over the next three years, we don't have an exact year for this story, um, but over the next three years, I'm assuming relatively modern, not like the 70s or anything like that, I would assume mid-2000s forward. Over the next three years, people who have swung by Janet's house, friends who have hung out with her, things like that, have reported when they're in the bathroom, seeing a little boy peeking through the door i don't know why they're not shutting the door by the way like this is this might sound like a minor question but i tend to always shut the door when i'm in the bathroom especially if there's other people around right when i'm by myself maybe i do leave it open maybe i don't but if i'm there are the people in the house that shut the door i don't know and it's important because do they not do they leave the door open a crack on purpose there's some big old pervert they're hoping someone catches a glimpse of them Or is the ghost opening the door? Because there's a difference in power level there. The fact that multiple people are seeing him peeking in through the bathroom door. So again, the door's cracked open enough that you can see his face peeking in. That'd be what? Six inches? Ten inches? Cracked open wide? It's pretty sizable. I don't know how big a two-year-old's face is, but let's say six inches. (laughs) I'm not going to go out and start measuring, walking around town with the ruler. If the ghost, if you leave the door cracked open and the ghost's face appears there, that's still terrifying. You're still peeing your pants. Don't get me wrong. You pulled your pants up. You're just done. Now you're peeing them again. But if the ghost is opening the door and poking his head in, that's a totally different power level. That's far more 
far more intense energy there. Multiple guests have seen him watching them while they go to the bathroom. Janet said sometimes she'll see him. This is her term. This is a creepy term. There's multiple different ways you can say this. I would say walking. She used the term, I would say walking. You could say a lot of terms. She said she would catch him creeping. Creeping the halls. So that adds, again, like just word choice. And she's the one witnessing this. It's not that the child's just jauntily walking down the hallway or even kind of like has a little, you know, (laughs) pimping their step for being dead for who knows how long. Creeping the halls. There's almost a sinisterness to describing it like that. A predator creeps. Creeping the halls. She said she's found him hiding in closets. And then you have standard poltergeist activity like cupboards being slammed open, things like that. Over three years, multiple interactions with this thing. As her youngest daughter starts to grow up, you know, she's still a toddler. She was born at the beginning of the story. Now she's around three. She starts talking to this boy. Her youngest daughter begins talking to this little ghost boy. Almost like an imaginary friend, but... It's creepy because you know for a fact that this imaginary friend exists. You've seen it. Your friends have seen it. Other members of your family have seen it. So when your daughter starts talking to him, you again, there's just another layer of sinisterness to it. We have covered a lot of stories, and I got more in the future, about finding out that imaginary friends turned out to be ghosts. This one's kind of a reverse. They know the ghost exists, and now their youngest daughter is talking to it. But then she starts to complain about him. Mommy, mommy, the ghost. I don't know. Let's give him a name. We'll call him Billy. Mommy, mommy, Billy, keep me up last night. And she's like rubbing her eyes. Little baby girl's rubbing her eyes. And Janet's like, what's going on, baby girl? Billy, he keep me up. He keep me up all night. He won't let me sleep. And that's what was happening. It was happening a lot. The child, the daughter, I didn't give her a name. Becca. Sorry, guys, these names are coming real late in the game, but Janet, the mom, Becca, the girl, the little girl. Becca goes, I can't sleep because every time I go to sleep, Billy wakes me up. He wakes me up and he makes me stay up and I just can't stand it anymore. I need to get some sleep. I'm only, I'm only three. She has like bags under her eyes and stuff like that. She's drinking coffee. She just needs to get some sleep. And she goes, I want to sleep, mom. I want to sleep. But all he wants to do is talk. He wants to talk to me all night long. And I'm a kid. But even I know that, uh, you know, the human body needs to shut down for a couple hours a day. And this is where we get two really interesting pieces of ghost lore. This otherwise basic ghost story. I mean, when I say basic, like, this is a terrifying ghost. The power level, if it's opening the doors out of control. It's a poltergeist that is opening cabinets. But the fact that it keeps manifesting and multiple people are seeing it over the course, a long period of time, three years, that's pretty strong entity. 
um, manifesting like that and being able to interact with the physical environment. This was posted online by someone going by the name Regular Suspect 7189. At the end of the story here, we get two really interesting pieces of ghost lore out of this otherwise standard ghost story. It really makes you think. One, Becca, the three-year-old girl, explains to her mom, she goes, Billy's really sad. Billy is really, really sad because he can't sleep. It's been years since he was able to sleep. And that's why he wakes me up. He's awake all night and he's bored. And he just wants to talk and he's really, really sad. Because he can't sleep. And that's really interesting. That actually, it's funny, we assume ghostly encounters take place at night there's two different reasons we think about it one it's because that's when everything's shut off lights are shut off the house is quiet so they may be they ghosts may be interacting with living people all day long but we only notice it in the quiet moments but the other one is because it's so spooky the other one is it's so spooky at night and our we have heightened senses we have an innate fear of the darkness just from evolution you know the Cavemen that went out into the night, they didn't come back. The ones who stayed by the fire had a healthy respect for what was out in the darkness. And then once humans developed an imagination, then it just went hog wild. That's why a dog will run off into the darkness. Just run off after something. They smell something and people go, oh, it's because dogs have night vision. I go, not that good. They can't see in night the same way they can see during the day. They can see better than humans. But they don't have, quote-unquote, night vision. A dog does not have an imagination. A dog doesn't watch a scary movie, and then later that night, when he's out in the backyard and the porch light shut off, he doesn't think Freddy Krueger is going to come out of the bushes. If you showed a kid, or even an adult who doesn't really watch horror movies, Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, and then locked him outside your house, turned off all the lights, they would think Freddy Krueger was in the bushes. They'd be terrified of the darkness surrounding them. A dog isn't. Animals don't have an imagination like that. But here's another thing of why ghosts may interact more at night. It's because they can't... That's really interesting. Sleep is a biological function. As far as I'm concerned, I am not a huge fan of sleeping. Um, It's such a waste of time. It's a limiter to human potential is the nap. (laughs) The nap, the sleep, the slumber, whatever you want to call it. If we didn't have to sleep, we'd get so much work done. But imagine if you couldn't sleep. Imagine if you wanted to sleep and you were awake for who knows how many years. We have no idea. Even at the end of the story, we don't know the origin of this ghost. We don't know how long it's been a ghost. We don't know if it's been a ghost for five years or for a hundred years. But it can't sleep. And it's sad. You can't sleep, and really, you can't dream. It's stuck in the waking world forever. Which is a really interesting, and it's one of those things that's obvious if you think about it. If you ask someone, do you go sleep, most people would say no. Why would they? Why would they need to? 
But when you sit down and think about it, that is that can be torturous, not being able to rest to constantly be up, especially if you're stuck in a single location for, say, 20, 30, 40 years. But what's even more interesting than that? That's kind of a no-brainer if you sat and thought about it. Do go sleep. And then you kind of had to go on the implications of that. She goes, uh, Billy keeps waking me up because he can't sleep and he's really, really sad and you want someone to talk to. That's interesting. But this next thing is absolutely, it's the title of the episode. This is nuts. This is absolutely crazy. Becca says he wants us to be the the exact quote that was written down was uh, she would only say this is from the post. She would only say that he's very sad and scared and he wanted us to feel sad and scared too. I told him the next time he wakes you up, tell him to go to sleep. She replied, oh, mom, I did lots of times. He said that he can never sleep again. That's why he's so sad, mom. That's why he's so sad. And they moved. They moved after this. She's like, we're, we're gone. We're out of here. But, um... It's just an interesting thing, going back to the scared thing, because we've asked that question before on the show. Why are ghosts so scary? Why do they present themselves in ways that are terrifying? Why is it that some ghosts return as a loved one's favorite fragrance or the the smell of grandpa's cigar smoke? Why do some ghosts appear like that? And other ones are just... even. I'm not even talking about what they do. I'm not even talking about what they do, knocking stuff over and screaming in your ear in the middle of the night, just how they appear. Why do some of them appear so grisly? Why are ghosts so scary? And is it because they are scared themselves? Trauma begets trauma. That's something we know happens with the living. Doesn't always have to be in that cycle, but we do see it. Some people break the cycle and they're better for it and their life is better for it, but some people stay in that trauma cycle. Trauma is done to them. They inflict trauma on others. As a ghost, it must be terrifying. It must be an absolutely terrifying existence. To be in a world, one, we talked about this on Monday's episode, you are trapped to a single location. You are possibly only limited to the information in that location. You have no idea what's going on in the outside world. Time may not even move on the same scale as it does for humans. It may jump a minute to five minutes to ten minutes to twenty minutes to three years in the future like that. We covered that on a past episode. Or, I mean, that would be tragic. Imagine turning around and all of a sudden it was 10 years in the future and there was a completely different family living in your house. And then you walked into another room and it was four hours from when you left the last room. And everything is just constant sensory overload. That's terrifying. Or being trapped in a single house, a single location for 40, 50, 60, however long And you only know the information that's in that location and it passes second by second by second by second by second by second by second. And you can't sleep. You can't interact with anybody. A true state of loneliness. I mean, it truly, if you really think about it, it, it's it's a baneful existence to be a ghost. 
And I would, I'm not saying to be a dead. I'm not saying to be a soul in the afterlife or anything like that. I'm saying to be trapped in a haunted location. You're the ghost in a location. It seems like hell. And add to that a child's ghost. Add to that the ghost of a child. If I died, I would have the... I, th- I mean, obviously, I think it would drive anybody psychotic if they're in this type of situation. But I would at least be able to understand basic things if I retain the knowledge that I've accumulated these 47 years and now I'm a ghost. Even me being put in a situation if time is constantly moving forward or I can never sleep and it's been 50 years and I can't interact with anything and I'm just sitting, sitting, sitting forever in this location. Yeah, it's going to drive me mad. It'll probably terrify me. It'll probably do all sorts of things to my psyche. And I would add tenfold to that the mind of a two-year-old who can't even comprehend the real world and now has to comprehend two worlds, that of the living and that of the dead. But out of this story, out of this otherwise normal ghost story, is that the answer to the question, why are ghosts so scary? Why do they present themselves in ways that are terrifying? Why do they scream in the middle of the night? Why do they appear in horrifying forms, standing at the end of your hallway, crawling from out underneath your bed, hiding in the darkest recesses of your closet, so when you open it, you just see a quick glimpse of a little girl huddled up there? All of these spirits could appear in ways that while they would be shocking because it's a ghost, you could come to accept it. If you were sitting in your living room and you saw a a ghost of a little girl standing by your television and she goes, don't panic. And then she vanishes. You don't see her again for like three or four months. The next time you see her, she's standing in the same location. She's like, I'm trying to manifest, but I don't want to scare you. And then maybe three weeks later, you see her again. And she goes, listen, my dad shot me and buried me under this house. And I am trying not to scare you. I don't know what to do. I don't know if you find my body, I'm released. I don't know. But maybe we can figure something out. That's far less scary than hiding in my closet. A ghost that can open cupboards and throw stuff around. I'm not saying that, I mean, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of power to be able to do what I just described. A ghost appearing and talking to you could take years to pull off for a ghost to manifest that type of energy. Some may argue all they can do is appear in the closet. But if you're opening cupboards and throwing stuff out of the cupboards, which was one of the things that happened in this story, you can write a note. You could hit, you could hit keys on a, on a computer and type, Don't freak out. Your house is haunted. It's me. If you can write get out out on a mirror, you can put, don't be scared. You can ask for help is what I'm saying. But maybe they don't want help. Maybe they do want help, but... They're so scared themselves. They're so terrified of their own existence that they can go about trying to build a bridge between worlds, spend a lot of energy trying to convince somebody to help them. Or they can just bring that person down to their level. If I'm scared here, everyone else is going to be scared here. 
And unfortunately, we see people in the real world do that, right? We see bullies in schools or in workplaces. They're miserable, so they're just going to make everyone else miserable too. What happens in the real world? Why wouldn't it happen in the world of the paranormal? It's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to go to work and make everyone miserable than go to work and make the miserable people as happy as you. It's way easier to bring everyone down than to lift everybody up. So if it's true in the real world, it would be true in the world of the paranormal. It's a fascinating story. This is why I love doing this podcast. I'm doing it for five years. I love it as much today as I did when I first started it because I would not have read this article. Probably not, right? I spend so much time reading this stuff now to discuss it with you guys. I wouldn't have read this article and I definitely wouldn't put this level of thought into it. Probably never would have seen it. If I saw it, probably wouldn't have even thought about it. I would have been like, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. But that's what I love about this show, and that's what I love about you guys, is we're building up the world of the paranormal. You and me, we're on this together, and I love this journey, and I'm glad you're here with it. And This is nuts. This is super, this is almost groundbreaking stuff for the paranormal, is the reason why ghosts are scary, because they want us to be scared too. They're terrified of their own existence. They want to make everyone else around them just as terrified as they are. Fascinating, fascinating stuff, and I hope you enjoyed it. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. 